0: Worship team, great job this morning. I don't know about you guys, but my, my soul resounded with the song selections, but my lungs needed a dirge and a minor key for a minute, right? <laughs> At least got one guy that's with me on that. Just give me a minute, I'm going to breathe. The older I get, the less ability I have to kind of beat around the bush. So... Let's just go at it, can we? I went 10 minutes long in the first service, which means we finished 10 minutes late, which meant we might be here till 2 o'clock today, but everything's canceled and lunch is in warm on the oven, so we're good. Here's what I want to convey to you today from the Scripture by the authority of God's Word. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came, He lived, He died, He rose again, and He is alive. And the fact that He is alive means that sin is forgiven, death is defeated, and there's hope for today and forever for those who follow Him. That's the hope. I want you to believe it. I want you to believe it. If you've come through those doors a skeptic today, I pray that you would walk out of here believing that. If you come through those doors tired and weary today, I pray that you walk out of here enlivened by the fact that Jesus is alive. If you come through those doors complacent in your faith today, I pray that you walk out of here committed to follow the resurrected Savior. That's what we're praying for. Now, we as Western capitalistic Americans have the ability to miss the point of every single holiday. My goal today is to make sure that we don't miss the point of Easter. Easter is not primarily about family. I love my family, and I'm very delighted that they were here for the first service to celebrate Easter with us. But being with them, that's not the point. The point of Easter is not International Seersucker Day. I do see your seersucker, and I celebrate it. That's a bold man right there. point is not to get out the spring clothes the point is that Jesus is alive I will say I did have a fundraising idea if any of you capitalistic people want to help we could fund our future expansions here at Redeemer with a line of wool clothing in pastel colors <laughs> for Easter's like today, horse races when it's cold outside, I mean, we could make all kinds of money Because I see those pastel linen jackets with a gray wool scarf. I've seen it all morning. I got one back there too. But none of that's the point of Easter. The point of Easter is not the lunch that's waiting on you. And I have a banana pudding cheesecake that my wife made for me. And it's going to be good. And you can't have any. (laughs) But that's not the point of Easter. Jesus is. The sugar coma nap that's coming after it that says, ah, oh, there is joy and there is new life, that's not the point either. This day is about a real person who was and is the Son of God, who really died, really was dead, really gave his life as a sacrifice for sin, and really was placed in a tomb, wrapped in claws with the door shut, forevermore, and he rose up and is alive and said, death, you're defeated, sin, you're defeated, everything changes. And so what I want you to do this Easter is to see why it matters that Jesus is alive. And I want to convince you of that from Mark chapter 16. So if you want to take notes, the first point is a new day, a new day. The Easter story begins with a hard day. It begins on what we know as Good Friday. Jesus had been born some 30 years before, 30-ish years before, to a woman named Mary, who was a virgin. She was made pregnant by God. She and her husband Joseph had this son. His name was Jesus. This Jesus grew up. He lived. He taught. He baptized, he worked miracles, he built a following. Just a week before what we celebrate today, he entered God's holy city where he was expected by his followers to become God's holy king over God's holy kingdom in God's holy city. He rode a donkey, they shouted Hosanna, which means God saves. They threw down palm branches for him to walk on. And from that moment forward, everything went sideways Jesus cleansed the temple and infuriated the religious leaders of God's holy city Jesus was betrayed by one of his followers he was arrested he was though innocent condemned to death on a cross he was tortured he suffered and he died after his death he was wrapped he was buried He was placed in a tomb. A heavy stone was rolled over the tomb. And not in the spiritual way that we mean it, but in a very literal, doubt-filled way, it was finished. And those who had followed Jesus were left to wonder, where did he go wrong? They were left to wonder what could have been They were left to wonder, was he a liar? They were left to wonder, were we wrong to follow him? They were left to wonder, what do we do? So on Friday evening, the stone was rolled over the tomb. And from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday, Jewish people were not allowed to do any work because it was a holy Sabbath. And so they sat in a room, scared, anxious, fearful, doubting, broken, and wondering what's become of us, what's become of Jesus. Where did it all go wrong? And we're told, when the Sabbath was passed, which would mean when the sun went down on, Sunday, on Saturday, a group of ladies went and bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And then at the first light on Sunday, the first day of the week when the sun had risen they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb. So you have a group of ladies go into a tomb filled with spices to honor Jesus to give him a proper burial and to bring closure to what's been a sad long painful week behind all their guilt struggle anxiety, fear doubt anguish there was this logistical problem of who would move the stone for them so they could go in and honor Jesus it was a new day for them But a sad day. And you might be sitting there this morning saying, come on, man. All this truth about he's risen and you got to go there. Yeah, we have to go there. Because here's the thing, guys. They didn't know the end from the beginning. They didn't sit there on Good Friday and go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But he's going he's to rise again on the third day. They forgot. Jesus had spoken the truth, but the secret was not out. So what they experienced on Friday evening and on Saturday and on Saturday evening was real. It was anguish. It was anxiety. It was fear. It was doubt. It was burdened. It was wrestling with who is this Jesus and were we right or was He right or were we wrong and what do we do? We've made a train wreck of our lives by following this man to ga- from Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. We've left everything. What did we do? And you might be saying, Pastor, come on, dude. Come on. We've got to leave that behind, but, but we... Let me tell you why we can't leave it behind. Because when preachers like me stand up and say, He is risen, He's alive, and that's the answer to all the burdens of our lives, most people hear that as yada, 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 blah, 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 religious pablum, religious pablum, religious pablum. But in this passage, when they showed up on that new day and the stone was rolled away, That wasn't religious pablum. That was the risen Jesus being the healing balm to all their fear, all their anxiety, all their anguish, all their doubt, all their unbelief. And so what we see in this passage is a picture of how the resurrection changes everything. That's what we see in this passage. And so what I am am pleading with you and calling upon you to see today is that if Jesus is alive, his life, his life-giving power is the answer to every struggle that defines who you are, who your family is, and who we are. if I can go from preaching to kind of meddling a little bit on Easter Sunday, I'm going to, okay? I believe in counseling. I actually go to counseling. I believe in therapy. But the purpose of all of that is to help us see clearly who we are and what Christ has done for us so that we can experience the fullness of new life in Christ. It's tools that help us to see The power of the resurrection in us. So what I'm calling you to believe today is that the life of Jesus displayed in the resurrection is the answer through all kinds of means and tools and ends to everything that holds us back and defines who we are. Jesus is the Lord and his resurrecting life is the answer. That's a statement of And that's a statement of faith that precedes all application. And I want to invite you to the statement of faith. That Jesus is alive and that speaks directly to every anguish in my soul, every bit of brokenness in my soul, every bit of hurt, every bit of doubt, every bit of fear, and every bit of unbelief. And if that sounds like preacher pablum, on Easter Sunday that I point you to Mark 15 and 16 put yourself in the in the shoes of the disciples and see how everything changed when they showed up and the stone was rolled away it's not just a good story it changes everything and i'm calling on you i'm pleading with you to believe it at the core The counseling community rightly teaches us that there's what we expect in life and what really happened. And the wider that chasm, the more pain, hurt, anxiety, fear, unbelief, brokenness is there. Now, I would... Submit to you that these disciples were walking in the widest chasm that could be imagined between what they expected and what came to pass. They expected to see heaven and eternity unfold on Friday. And they got a dead body in a tomb. A, A poser. He is risen, was the answer to the chasm. I want you to believe that today. So We see that this is a new day because Jesus is alive. Second point, a new reality. They went looking to find some closure to a painful week. But what they found was a new reality. Verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. So minimally, the Lord's taken their logistical burden away. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side. Now remember, they were expecting a dead man laying over there, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, "Do not be alarmed." Now, if you're a part of Redeemer, you know what I'm about to say. But one of those things in the scripture that just causes me to scratch my temple and I just don't understand, is every time an angelic figure shows up in a broken world, the broken, sinful people like us are always rightfully afraid. And yet they always say, don't be afraid. I just don't get it. I need that explained to me. I need there to be a better footnote in the scripture. I went to see a stone and behind the stone was supposed to be a dead man, wrapped in claws, not moved for this is the third day. And instead, I see no stone and an angelic figure who says, don't be afraid, he's not here. Of course I'm afraid. Of course I'm astounded. Of Of course this is not what we expected. Of course this reshapes everything in my psyche. What is going on here? Don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid Him. What this figure is explaining to this group of women is that Jesus is not there because Jesus is no longer dead. Jesus is not there because Jesus is alive. That's the testimony. That's the testimony. And the Bible goes to great lengths to prove to us that this is not a fable, it's not an allegory, it's not a good religious story, it's not a metaphor of what happens when we believe in Jesus and He rises in our hearts, it's none of that. It is a real thing that happened to a real person who really died and really rose again and really defeated death. So in Mark 16, He appears to the, to the group of ladies There's a story at the end of the book of Matthew, at the end of the book of Luke, at the end of the book of John, where different people are appeared to by the risen Jesus. But one of the most definitive ones is written some 25 to 35 years later by a man named Paul. And it's in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, how many of you like sports? Sports? So therefore you like good sports reporting. Good sports reporting tells a story of what really happened, appealing to the fact that there were people there who can tell you if you're telling the story right or not, right? I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Today, I'm going to watch them beat the Mets. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to read a story about how they beat the Mets. But see, the person writing that story can't fudge it because there will be 60,000 people there today watching that game and hundreds of thousands more watching on TV. So he can write whatever he wants to, but the witnesses will tell the story, right? Listen to this. So Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared. Now listen to the list. To Cephas, that's Peter. Then to the twelve, that's his inner circle. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Do you hear that? Do you hear what Paul's saying? You can go talk to them. They're still alive. Not today, but when Paul wrote this. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, to one who's untimely born, he appealed, he appeared also to me. So what Paul is saying, based upon the authority of truth and upon the life of the disciples and the apostles, this Jesus not only rose, but he appeared over and over and over again to display that he indeed is alive. He indeed is the Lord. We have good Evidence to believe that he died, he was buried, and he rose again. But also, the fact that he's alive conveys so much more. The scripture from the very beginning in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, all the way to the last page in the book of Revelation, if you're new to the Bible, I basically said from here to here. But the scripture, it testifies that sin and death are tied together. It testifies that God created the first humans, Adam and Eve, and they sinned against God. And in their rebellion against God and God's good ways, death entered the world. So throughout the scripture, sin and death are tied together. Sin brought death. And one of the greatest testimonies to the presence and the pervasive power of sin is this. Every single one of you will die. Your body is decaying and there's nothing to do to stop it. No matter which mid-level marketing scheme you buy into tomorrow. We are dying. Scripture says that the reality of death testifies to the power and the reality of sin. I think we also look out in our world and we just know that it's broken. We just know that people are hurting one another in ways that are not necessary. We just know that people are hurting us in ways that are not necessary. We just know that there are real, tangible struggles that don't seem to make any sense. This world is not what God intended it to be when he created it because of sin and death. Now, how does, what does all that have to do with Jesus being alive? If sin and death are tied together in the Scripture, then the only way to defeat sin is to defeat death. If sin and death are tied together in the Scripture, then the one who can deliver from the power of sin is the one who can defeat the power of death. Jesus said as much in the book of John. But Paul goes on to make this point in that 1 Corinthians passage that we were just looking at. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 54 through 57. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is Jesus is alive, and because he's alive, there is victory over death, and there is victory over sin. So the fact that Jesus is not dead, that he is alive, it shouts to us that death is defeated by Jesus. Our physical death is not the end because Jesus has defeated Death. It also shouts that Jesus has defeated sin. So, our sin, our rebellion, our brokenness, sin done to us, and sin committed by us, that is not the last word. The last word is Jesus who defeated sin and death. Because he's alive, there's forgiveness. Because he's alive, there's redemption. Because he's alive, there's grace. Because he's alive, there's everlasting life. Jesus can say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls, because he has defeated death. Jesus can say, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, because he has defeated sin and death. Jesus can say, I am the door. Come on into the family, because he has defeated sin and death. He is alive. And this changes everything. Now I said earlier, I, I, I called on you, I pleaded with you, I, I begged you to believe that the, the, the living, suffering servant Jesus, that faith in Him changes everything. I want to call you here to believe That the more we look to Jesus, the resurrected, risen, living Lord, the more there is a new beginning and a new hope and a new power and a new life that changes everything for us. It was Thomas Watson, the famous Puritan, who said, until sin be bitter, Christ will never be sweet. And what Watson meant was, until we understand the sting of the brokenness of the world, the resurrection of Jesus will never be powerful to us. In a similar vein, this is the day I I quote all my friends that are smarter than me. My friend Matt McCullough, who pastors down in Nashville, has, has written a a very profound little book called Remember Death. It's a great title to sell a lot of copies, right? But here's the thesis. Everything in our world is made to hide the reality of death. And if we forget the reality of death, then a risen, resurrected Savior isn't real or meaningful or helpful to us. So the gospel way is to remember our impending death, to remember our decaying bodies, to remember our broken Psychological framework to remember our broken relationships and see that all of that shouts that we need help from outside because we can't help ourselves from inside and His name is Jesus and He's the risen Lord and it makes sense when we see our impending death. Resurrection makes sense in the context of death. Would there not have been a tomb that was closed and an empty tomb would not have been worshipped. I want us to see and believe that the reality of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus defeating the power of sin and defeating the power of death says there is hope everlasting for us. And if I will lean into him, all things will be made new. This is not closure. It's a new beginning. Everything will go forward through the power of the resurrected Savior. Which leads to a final point. By the way, if you're visiting today, I'm talking way longer today than I normally do. But it's Easter, and everybody got all dressed up to be here, and we just need to, you know, carpe diem, seize the day. Third point, a new invitation. The fact that Jesus is alive was not, that, that would be a good story, right, if it just ended at verse 6, it would be a great story. But Jesus doesn't leave it for us to figure out what to do with it he extends a new invitation. And this invitation goes down two paths. There's one to the disciples and there's one to Peter. Verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Hey, he's alive. Now go tell his disciples to meet him. Galilee. That seems a little bit obscure, doesn't it? Why can't he just you know, hey look, we're right over here hanging out, why don't you just come over here? Come on Jesus, don't make it hard on us. What this angelic figure is saying to these ladies is to go and tell the disciples that the work's not finished. And once it's finished, Jesus has died, the work between God and our sin is done, but the mission is not complete. And Jesus saying, y'all meet me in Galilee because I'm going to finish my mission through you. The invitation to the followers of Jesus is to get up and go because there is work to be done. So if you're here today and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of Redeemer or you're a part of another church, either way, What this Resurrection Sunday says is we respond to the truth of the resurrection by going in the power of our Savior to do His work of seeing the gospel reach our community and to the ends of the earth. The resurrection is the fuel for mission. Because Jesus is going to finish His mission through His people empowered by His Spirit. That's what's coming. And so he says, go tell the disciples that I'll see them in Galilee because we got work to do. The mission's going to go forward, and it's going to go forward through them. Therefore, I don't believe that it's the will of God that we celebrate Resurrection Sunday just so we can sing good songs, just so we can enjoy a good worship team, and just so we can enjoy a mediocre sermon. It is the will of God that we celebrate the resurrection so that we will identify with the resurrected Lord. We will take up our cross and deny ourselves and follow him and go join him on his mission to take his gospel to this community and to the ends of the earth because he is going to finish his work through his people who have seen him and believed in him and follow him. And if we're in Christ, that is us. I've gotten some new numbers where you sit right now If you were to draw a one-mile radius circle from where you sit right now, all throughout this community, I've been telling you for three years that there are 1,000 families in that circle. That's a lie. There are 3,000 families in that circle. So if we do some suburban math that the average family has, um, you know, husband, wife, and two and a half kids, that means you can multiply 3,000 by 4.5. Minimally, there are 10,000 people within a one-mile radius of where we sit right now. And God, by his providential, powerful, sovereign hand, gave us this building and this place to wave the flag and the banner of Jesus so that those 1,000 people would know that he is Lord, and he did it so that his work would carry out through us. We have work to do, and the resurrected Savior says, meet me in Galilee. So we respond to the resurrection by believing the gospel, and we respond to the resurrection by following the Savior into the world. Let's go, church. Let's go. Now, second invitation. There are two words that you might have just skipped right over. Go tell his disciples and Peter. And Peter. Who besides me just skipped right over that? All of us, right? Isn't that like bad grammar? Peter is one of the disciples. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Well, if you tell the disciples, you're going to tell Peter. Except there's this problem. Peter doesn't know if he's a disciple anymore or not. See, just two days ago, three days ago, Peter denied Jesus three times. It reads like this in Mark chapter 14. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I will neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And then the servant girl saw him and began asking again to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. So you know what those days were like for, for Peter? He denied his Savior. And when those women came running back from the tomb, filled with awe and wonder and shock, and said, he's alive, everybody in the room would burst out in joy except Peter. He would be sitting over there in the corner, wringing his hands and crying and wondering, but is this good news for me or is it bad news for me? Because I denied him three times. And so the angel says, on the authority of the word of Jesus, go tell the disciples and Peter to meet me. In Galilee. Because we have work to do. You know what that means friends? It means there's room in the kingdom. For broken sinful people like me and you. Because Jesus invited Peter. So take your, make your list. Get out a piece of paper. And make your list of all those evils you've done. That make you too far from God. To be redeemed. And then in huge Red font, write the words and Peter all over it. And turn from, G, turn from your sin and come to Jesus and be delivered. All those things, those patterns in your life that, that make Christians angry and make you feel unaccepted by God, write them out on a piece of paper and then in massive red ink, write the words and Peter. And declare to the world that if there is grace and mercy and forgiveness for Peter, there is grace and mercy and forgiveness for broken people like us all. Our Jesus, His death and His life and His resurrection have power for rejecting broken, unfaithful people like Peter. And that means there is hope in the gospel for every single one of us. And So I I appeal to you today, How will you respond to this Jesus? And I think it's important that we be definitive. I think it's important that we be definitive. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church here, that's not responding in a definitive way to Jesus. It doesn't matter how many things in your life you try to make better, that's not responding in a definitive way to Jesus. It doesn't matter how spiritually or emotionally healthy you get. That's not responding in a definitive way to Jesus. Responding in a definitive way to Jesus is saying, I know that I am worse than Peter. I confess that. I believe that. And I'm going to turn from that rebellion and I'm going to believe that Jesus has died and risen again for people like me. And I'm going to believe that in Christ I'm accepted, I'm loved, and I'm forgiven. And I'm going to declare that, and I'm going to be definitive about that. And I'm going to profess that to God, and I'm going to profess that to the church, and I'm going to profess that to everybody who will listen. Be definitive in your faith in Jesus. He promises that he'll never cast you out. Be definitive. Because he said, go and tell And all of us broken people, he's got work for us to do too. So let's go. Now, Father in heaven, I pray that whatever is true and right and good that's been said today, you would accomplish much through it. I pray that you would not allow anyone to leave this room today not having been impacted by Jesus, not having been impacted by the truth that he is the resurrected Lord. And I pray that you would work deeply in your people. Church, I ask you to pray this prayer while we're singing here in just a minute. Pray this. God, show me why you had me here today. Show me. And cause me to respond. In just a moment, we're going to sing and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We take the Lord's Supper each week here at Redeemer Church as a declaration of our faith in Jesus. So we invite anyone who is a Christian, Anyone who's professed faith in Jesus for salvation and made that known to the church, we invite you to take this bread and take this cup with us as a way to say, Jesus is Lord. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, we don't want to exclude you, but we would ask that you let the bread and the cup pass because this is a a declaration of faith in Jesus. And if you're not his follower, if you don't believe in him, you can't declare that. But today... You can commit to him. Today, we want to help you do just that. So these men are going to pass the bread, pass the cup. We're going to sing. I'll come back in just a moment. We'll take them together.